2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. I want you to consider that last phrase of the verse this morning, that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Hard to believe that someone would receive the grace of God in vain. Now, this is a large subject. What is including the grace of God? Forgiveness and power and strength. But to have the grace of God available and not to take it. We traveled to Uganda this past week, and that's a very long trip. You'll spend 25 to 30 hours in flight and airports. We had a leg of that trip, if, if you've never flown uh, to the other side of the world, uh, sometimes you'll sit on flights for 10 to 16 straight hours and uh, in a very uncomfortable position. I've always dreamt of first class. You know, you, <laughs> I'm the one that gets the, the seat next to the bathroom in the very back of the plane. You know, the smallest seat, the tightest seat with the biggest person right next to me. That's my flying experience. So, you know, when you walk by first class, what you do, you just step up. There's a curtain there, and you always take a peek, you know, like one of these days when I grow up in a different <laughs> life. You know, maybe, maybe. And, and about the time you take a peek, the stewardess comes by and shuts the curtain and says, no, you need to, you need to go back to your, your normal seat by the bathroom, sir. I humbly do, but on a leg of this trip, we had many, we had four different flights, so we're right around nine hours on one of those legs, someone here upgraded one of those legs to first class, and you walk differently when you go into first class. (laughs) You know, then you look at the poor blokes that are going to the back of the plane. Instead of waiting for the stewardess to pull the curtain, I pulled the curtain back. <laughs> but I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine being offered first class and saying, you know what, I'm so used to sitting back there by the bathroom, I think I'll just go take my, my normal seat. That would be in vain. That's an opportunity, a seat, that's grace in vain. Uh, I've been given a card and uh, I fly... Normally, every flight under the sun, whichever is the cheapest. But with American, I get to go sit in the lounge uh, in my many delays. That's why I normally try to fly American, because I know normally I'm going to have something canceled or delayed. And if I'm going to spend four, five, six hours in an airport, it's nice to be in the lounge. And someone has given me their card, which means anytime I fly American, I just pull out that card and it allows me into the lounge. I can't imagine sitting down there with the rest of the poor blokes and <laughs> having that card in my pocket and saying, no, I don't want to take advantage of this. Yeah. That's in vain. And when it comes to the grace of God, there's a dual application here. I know we want to get everything in the proper context, and this is dealing primarily with the Christian, but it also has an application to the say, What is receiving the grace of God in vain? I'd say, first of all, it's hearing the gospel, understanding the gospel, and never coming to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now to think that uh, there are some that are sitting here this morning not saved, and here's what God has done. The grace of God 
sent his son, uh, Jesus Christ. Here was the eternal plan. Knowing man would sin. Heaven was already prepared. The plan was already made. The son was sent. Jesus Christ came to the earth. 33 sinless years. And then he died. He shed his blood. Uh, there's no way that a pastor can properly word this. There's, I don't care how great of an order, how incredible of a speaker, to put these in words, proper words to express the grace of God, no one can do it adequately. But God in grace and love offers us a way of salvation. Now that wouldn't be good enough if we didn't have a way of understanding it or hearing about that news. So God gave us his word. And he, he just didn't inspire it in giving it to us. How, how many of you talked to someone, I did this week, and uh, how many of you talked to someone saying, that's just a book, how, how do you know, why would you put your faith and trust in that? Well, it's from God. This is literally God's word, his inspired word. But it wouldn't do any good just to inspire it if it was written thousands of years ago. He had to preserve it, and then he did that. And then, not just preserve it, but if it was written in Hebrew and Greek, and we speak English, how many here speak Hebrew or Greek? I know a little Greek, and I love the restaurant food. <laughs> but I can't speak the language. I'm thankful that this book has been translated into English and preserved in its translation, that's the grace of God. Now, it wouldn't be good enough that he sent his son if I didn't know about it, so he gave me his word so I would receive it, but that wouldn't do me any good either unless someone delivered it to me. There are 8 billion people on the planet, and I need to personally hear about that to understand and put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, that means you have not just heard about it, most of you are carrying a copy, but that means the gospel came to your door, someone told you about it, you showed up to church, now you're sitting in a place where the gospel is going to be preached. All of that is the grace of God. To think, you say, well, how does God exist? Because you're sitting here right now, that's the grace of God. And God has put everything in order and done everything in your favor to get you to this place, this moment, right now. So you once again have the opportunity to be saved, to enjoy eternal life in the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. But it's the grace of God in vain. If you who received a track or you've heard the gospel, you've come to the understanding of the gospel, and many have. Do you know I held it full this morning of people that received the news, heard the news, understood the news, and then walked away and rejected the opportunity, that's grace in vain. When I left this week, I left the keys to my vehicle with my wife. Now, it's her choice. She could, she could say, you know, I don't want to drive it. It's, it's just too nice. I, I think I'll, I'll pass on that. She, she's going to make a choice. It's there. It's available. But if she doesn't personally receive it and, and make that, and there are many here this morning, said, you, you've been given by God the keys to eternal life. And he said, it's, it's yours if you'd like it. If, 
if you want to put your faith and trust, if you will repent, you can have eternal life, and it's the grace of God. Made for God to do all of that for man, and then for man in pride to say, nah, I don't think I want that. That would be worse than me refusing the first class seat and saying, nah, I think I'll take my normal seat in the back of the plane. And man say, no, you know what? I don't think I want heaven. I, I think I prefer my righteousness and going to hell. That's a bad choice. That's the grace of God. Man, look what it says in verse 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The only way for the lost sinner not to receive the grace of God in vain is to say, now, today is the day. Of, I'm not going to wait a week. I'm not going to wait a month. I'm not going to med meditate on this for 24 hours. I'm going to take advantage of this right now. You know, you know, as soon as I said right now, I think I'm going to take advantage of this. And I walked in and, you, you know, normally this, the seats they give me, you know, you sit like this. And then you're, you're meditating at the person next to you saying, can I put my elbow down? Does this very large person really need all the additional space? So you move this elbow forward and then you look to your left and say, Thank God they're under 200. I'm a little larger than they. I'm going to put my elbow there. And you want to sleep, but you're worried about the lean. Yes. <laughs> and your legs are cramped, but you can't cross your legs because you might swing it into someone else's foot. And I hope I, hope I don't sleep just enough to snore. No, you know what I did? I walked up first class, and did, how many ever flown first class? Yeah, the, the people on the other side of the curtain. <laughs> I'm glad to meet you all. So I felt very welcome in your world for a very <laughs> short period of time. But you can, you can lay that chair all the way back into a bed. And you have two pillows and a blanket. No neighbor next to you. You don't have to worry about the lean or the armrest. You just stretch your feet as far as you want. Now, for, for those of you, you know, it, first class is normal for you. You're just sitting there looking at me with pity in your eyes like that. You're the one that's using the word poor bloke in my case. That preacher's a poor bloke that's never, never known a taste of the real good life. To think that someone would say, I'm going, to, I'm going to refuse something so much greater than first class. I'm going to re refuse the free gift of salvation, eternal life, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. When it's that simple, it's as simple as what I had to do to walk into first class. Just receive, accept by faith that someone else. You know, when I, when I walked up at that counter, you know what I had to do by faith? Because I was told my ticket had been changed, I had to walk up by faith to that counter and say with my passport, um, actually, this ticket's wrong. I'm supposed to have a first-class seat. Can you imagine if that would have just been a practical joke? Can you imagine? Had that lady said, uh, no, sir. 
you got 36C. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I just, you know, thought I'd give it a shot. It was by faith that I took that step. That faith was rewarded. And if you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can receive the grace of God. If you refuse that grace, it is in vain. You can nullify God's grace by simply refusing it. Number two, let's switch from the non-believer to the believer. What about the believer? Don't you think uh, that it's just as bad? And I know you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior if you've had that moment of salvation. But uh, you can receive the transforming grace of salvation and neglect to tell others about that grace. And that means his grace is in vain. Look what it says in chapter 5, verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath what? He committed. So, how many of you have been saved? You look back at the time of your life, you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You repented of your sins. You were radically transformed by the gospel. Raise your hand if you know that without a doubt. Okay. Now, keep your hands raised for a minute. You, you know what this group is as our hands raised? Your ambassadors. Thank you. You can put your hands down. That means you don't have a choice. If you've been reconciled to God, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation He's committed to us, verse 19, the word of reconciliation. Now, verse 20, what's it say? We are ambassadors for Christ. We're supposed to speak. We are commanded not just the moment of salvation or the day after salvation or the week after salvation. It's receiving the grace of God in vain if he saves us and delivers us and transforms us to say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to share that with anyone. If you've been rescued, if you've been delivered, if you've been saved occasionally, you read a story about someone who was saved by a fireman in, you know, from a burning building, from a burning house. Maybe there aren't the Twin Towers. You read about these stories about being rescued, cars that have been rolled over, pulled out of lakes. It's incredible, but that person, if he is not willing to ever speak of the, of the one, the very one that saved him from death, there's, there's a problem there. I would say there's a psychological, there's a deep-rooted problem if there's not enough gratitude to at least mention the name of the person that went through the effort to save that man or that woman or that child and to think the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us and he's designated us ambassador. Now, I don't want to make this sermon about being an ambassador this morning. That's another message for another day. But you represent another country and the duty of any ambassador is to open up his mouth on the behalf of his leader and his country. His interests are the interests of the ones who sent him. He's a representative. And we're in a foreign country, and our interests are supposed to be our king, our country. And when we open up our mouth, we are representing 
the one that has sent us. And God said, as soon as you got saved, you've been reconciled to God. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You're supposed to make sure that others are reconciled to God. And God says, that's the very reason I've left you on the earth, to be an ambassador, to speak of my name, and for, to, for us to receive the grace of God, and then not help anyone else receive that grace or hear of that grace. I'm convinced of this. I am anything but a Calvinist. I think we're damning souls to hell through the lie of Calvinism because Christians are apathetic enough to think that they can sit on their hands and God has no purpose for their life. If if Calvinism were true, we're not ambassadors. We send missionaries. We Spread the gospel. We give out tracts. We talk to co-workers. And I think the average Christian is truly Calvinistic in his heart and mind because he goes to work where God has placed him to be an ambassador and tells no one about Jesus Christ. Lives in a neighborhood where he's told no one about Jesus Christ. Works at a company where he's told no one about Jesus Christ. Has a family that he's told no one about Jesus Christ and says, I'm saved, but let Let God supernaturally, some other way, get them the gospel. Now, of 8 billion souls that are on this planet, the majority of them are without Christ. You know why they're without Christ? Because many Christians have received the grace of God in vain. Although saved, they tell no one about salvation. Although filled with the Holy Spirit, they help no one else receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They've chosen to receive that grace, hang on to that grace, put it in a can, lock the can, and let no one else know there's a God out there that would like to save them. That means you've received the grace of God in vain. Uh, Number three, there's another way. You can receive the grace of God in vain. That's being taught godliness by grace, yet walking in carnality and worldliness. Now look what it says in verse 14 of the chapter. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Let's, let's ask, answer these questions here for just a moment. Rhetorical not difficult at all. Second graders can tell the answer. So obviously this highly educated group is going to be quick with their response. So what's the, what's the answer to this one? What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? The lawless with the lawful. Is there any communion there? Is, is there that, that's you before God, you before Christ? How many of you like uh, to make a prison environment your home environment? No. The, the lawful and the lawless don't want to be yoked together. What communion hath light with darkness? Is there any communion at all? Light eliminates darkness. What concord hath Christ with Belial? Christ and Satan have anything in common there at all? No, none whatsoever. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 
Wherefore, verse 17, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. Verse 1 of chapter 7, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us do what? Cleanse ourselves. Now, if, if you use the word holiness, we'll mention this in the service tonight, in, in today's Christianity, today's congregation, you'll clean out the average church in about five minutes if you just preach a biblical message on holy living. Most families aren't holy. Uh, kids grow up in church aren't holy. Not holiness in the home, not holiness uh, with, with the entertainment, no holiness in dress. You've received the grace of God in vain. God says, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature. So the Christian that refuses to pursue a holiness has received the grace of God in vain. Now, I personally, I, I believe this is biblical-based principle, I personally think that we throw around the word backslidden to carelessly. I think there are more unsaved people that claim to be Christian that we classify as backslidden that God would simply say are not saved at all. Because when a person gets born again, he's indwelt by the what? The, the, the Spirit of God or the... Why is there an adjective before the Spirit? God wants you to know very clearly he's a Holy Spirit. You know what he produces in the life of the believer? Holiness. So the grace of God doesn't just indwell you with the Holy Spirit of God. He says, okay, this grace is received in vain if you don't pursue holiness. Here's, here's what Christian is saying. Now, he clarifies this in chapter 10, verse 1. He said, let us cleanse ourselves. That's, that's something you have to do proactively. How many realize after you got saved? He saved your soul. He didn't save your flesh. He didn't save your body. How many ever wake up frustrated and say, God, would you just deliver me today from... This flesh is so pitiful. And, and God, I want to put, there's a desire there. And you say, God, I'd just like to make it through the day honoring you and glorifying you. And it's not my purpose to fall. It's not my purpose to cave to my flesh. And I, I want, to, it says, perfecting holiness. That's a huge phrase to digest. Perfecting, you, you know what's going on in the name of Christianity today? Everything except holiness. That's the grace of God. I, I just personally believe most of it's not even salvation. It doesn't include salvation. It, it's just adding God or Jesus to their same lifestyle that they plan on uh, pursuing. But the grace of God will do something inside of a man that will help him uh, live pursuing holiness in any Christian who is not living his life for the honor and the glory of God has received the grace of God now, here's what you do after you fall. He's like, Pastor, I've, I've sinned. You know what? You receive the grace of God. Seek God's forgiveness and get up and confess. Look what it says in Romans 6. Paul speaks often on the subject. Romans 6, verse 1. 
What should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Is that the purpose of grace? Should grace ever be considered permission to be a disgrace? God, what? God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin live any longer there in verse 15? Look what it says. What then should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? What's it say? God forbid that should happen. Hey, you know, I've turned there. Let me read you a verse out of Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. But that chapter doesn't end there. We thank God for that grace, that saving grace. What then does the grace do? The Bible says, teaching us the denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I don't want any of that to be in vain. This isn't about rules. This isn't about laws. This isn't about guidelines. This is about love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the grace that he's given to me, I don't want it to be in vain. I want to make sure that grace is my teacher that leads me into godly living. Uh, Let me say number four. How can we receive the grace of God in vain? By enjoying the grace of God for forgiveness but refusing to forgive others in their sin. So, how many of you like the fact that at salvation, past, present, future, all sins have been forgiven? I would say, praise God for that. Now, and I, know, I know you're Baptist, mostly Presbyterian, in your spiritual emotions. Uh, you know, you've perfected the the art of spiritual sternness in the house of God. You know, if someone actually enjoys something like Tyrone and supports the pastor, you've got to do. You know. So, Presbyterian in your heart and soul, uh, Baptist in your belief of salvation. Anyways... You ought to get a little bit excited about the fact your sins. Because I know you come looking all spiritual, but God knows everything that you have done over the past 42 years. So, you know, just because you got a really big Bible and a nice tie, everybody else goes, praise God, what a saint. God says, praise God, what a sinner. That I'm trying to make a saint. But God has forgiven you, and that should cause you at least one second of spiritual emotion that gets you stirred up and says, no one else on this planet has forgiven me everything. And if you think you know someone capable, just go tell them everything you've done in your life. Everything. And then, then ask them, would you, would you forgive me? Uh, halfway through, they're probably not sticking around to hear about them. And God, knowing everything, has forgiven you. Go with me to Ephesians 4, a verse we can all quote, but need to be reminded of. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Now, if 
if I did anything and was given any freedom, you know, you hear about Jefferson making his own Bible, and basically he took a knife and cut out everything in the life of Christ that was supernatural, proving that he was God. Baptists do this with verses. They cut out the rest of this verse. After forgiving one another, they cut out the last phrase, because the last phrase is too convicting. Forgiving one another. Well, I forgave him. Well, we can tell by your tone you actually didn't. Because if you give us just a second, you're going to let us know what you forgave him of, that dirty, filthy, rotten piece of rotten. I'm so glad that you've forgiven him, huh? Even as God. How are we supposed to forgive? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, we've received the grace of God in vain if we've received the forgiveness of sins and don't offer that same level of grace and forgiveness to others. God says, you've received my grace in vain because I have saved you and forgiven you so you have the mindset that he has, which is forgive. The same way I've forgiven you, you understand how God has forgiven you. Now you go forgive others with that same forgiveness. And if you think anyone else has committed a sin against you, as many times you've committed that against God, you're wrong. Because most of the time, what we do against others is not even recognized by others. They don't recognize that thought. But God does. The grace of God... In vain, and we Matthew 18, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, the man that owes 10,000 uh, 10, talents is forgiven. And after having received the forgiveness of such great debt that could have never been paid, he goes and finds a man that owes him 100 pence, owes him pennies. He grabs him, the Bible says, by the neck and says... Pay me what you owe me. And when he can't pay the pennies, he takes him to debtor's prison. And God is teaching us a lesson of forgiveness and saying, if you've received grace, don't receive it in vain. God says, I've forgiven you an unpayable debt, immeasurable debt. But we're grabbing people over pennies. And locking our hands on their throat and shaking them until their blood vessels are ready to burst and saying, I can't forgive you until you've paid off these pennies. That's receiving the grace of God in vain. Look what it said in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man, what's it say? Fell of the grace of God. How do we fail? How is that grace in vain? Lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I would say, most likely, the number one Sin in Christianity that is knocking people out of church, 
wreaking havoc in marriages, ending friendships, is this root of bitterness in Christianity. Would that make any sense at all? Having experienced the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and being commanded to forgive even as God has forgiven us, you would think that forgiveness wouldn't be an issue at all. Bitterness, and most that are actually bitter in their heart, are in denial. You can see it in their face, but if ever confronted, Pastor, I don't hate my husband as much as I should. <laughs> it's not that I can't stand that person. I just don't want to be on the same side of the auditorium. That bitterness is saying the grace of God is in vain because God says, I've given you grace and that grace should be big enough for you to show others that same grace. Otherwise, we've received, we're just like the world. Now, you can understand the world being bitter. Can you imagine going through the world what they've dealt with in their youth and the abuse and the, the story. I, I tell people all the time when, when we work with uh, kids and unsafe families and, and, and in the bus route, when you see that hard face, you should not be frustrated by that person. You should be compassionate and heartbroken because there's a story there, there's pain there, there's hurt there, and until they know the grace of God, most likely they'll never get past that because they'll never be able to forgive the person that caused that grief and pain. But once you become a child of God, that, that frown, that hurt, that pain ought to be replaced by peace and love. Otherwise, you've received the grace of God. Amen. When marriages among Christians are being broken up, what's the reason? They receive the grace of God in vain. Well, pastor, I just don't think I can. No. You're allowing the grace of God in vain to be put in a box in your life when God says that same forgiveness that you've received, I want you to offer. Now go back with me to our text. There's another way that grace of God can be received in vain. Look what it says in verse 4. But in all things approving ourselves, the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. This list messes me up. It's almost like Paul's put me on his level. I'm like, well, Paul, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. He's talking about all these things that he has suffered, and then he's expressing how the grace of God has carried him through each one of these trials. Now, you know how we can receive the grace of God in vain? By dealing with suffering, yet not having the grace to endure that suffering. Let me ask you this. Do you really need the grace of God for the good times? You're healthy. I'm so glad I have the grace of God. For what? If you can't be happy healthy, 
Sorry, Buster, you just unhappy. Well, you know, there are coming days where trials are guaranteed. Now, the scope of those trials, that's not the purpose of this message this morning. Everyone here deals with different issues and different trials. And I've had trials in ministry and we've had trials in the health of our children. And we've dealt with some of those moments. And here's what we found. God's grace is always sufficient. Kim and I looked back at that time in Argentina and, and asked these surgeries and health issues and separation from family and hospitals and, and everything that took place. And, and we marvel at the grace of God. And, and, and Kim has asked me on several occasions, was I that naive? Was I that strong? Was I that young? No, here's what it, the bottom line was. We look back and we marvel at the lack of a breakdown, the lack of frustration, the, the lack of trepidation. Yes, there was a heaviness, and yes, there was a brokenness, and yes, we shed tears, and yes, it was difficult. Uh, the time was spent in the hospital and watching your child suffer these things. But at the end of the day, you know, you can always point your put your finger on and, and point to the grace of God was always sufficient. And if you look at people in Christianity, one walks in with the face so long. It's almost like they're trying to stretch their face into an unnatural position. Those are the ones that everyone is fearful of stretching out a hand and saying, how are you doing today? Because they might actually tell you how they are doing today and how they did yesterday and the day before. And so you simply say, good morning, and then quick hand release and move on to someone happier. Well, Pastor, that person with a smile just is dealing with less. Oh, don't be deceived by the smile. One is walking in God's grace and the other one's not. Everyone here is dealing with some kind of problem, has dealt with some kind of problem. Don't, don't look around this room and say, all oh, those people with the big smiles. Miss Shirley has never dealt with any trouble in her life. She just smiles all the time. I wish I had a life that perfect. Let me give you one answer to that, one word answer to that, surge. Now, Sergio's my friend, I can say that, and he's still smiling. <laughs> no, we all have problems. The difference is one is walking through those issues and those trials and those suffering. If anyone could have been unhappy, if anyone could have been miserable, if anyone could have been bitter, it was the Apostle Paul, but he said, I've not received the grace of God in vain. If the grace of God was good enough to save me, the grace of God is good enough to keep me, hold on for a second, not joyful, but actually happy. Some of you need to uh, get beyond your joy and actually get happy. Oh, man, it would do us all good. Man, if you could be happy for like two seconds at a time, we'd, just, we'd be happy with that. Stretch it out into two minutes and eventually two hours and occasionally two days. Did you know the grace of God can actually make you happy in spurts? Happy at least, or you know what? If, if some of you got the great cut, you could even be happy on your anniversary. You could, some of you aren't even happy on your birthday. Explain that. You're gonna celebrate? No, old people don't do that. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look what Paul said. Verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. It was not his wife. He was single. So don't come to me with <laughs> the messenger of Satan above me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I beside the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. For he said to me, my what? My grace is sufficient for thee. If his grace is not sufficient, it's because you've received his grace in a... It's there. You just didn't travel down to first class. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Let's go back to our text and we'll finish. 2 Corinthians. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also to receive not the grace of God in vain. There's our last point. What's that, Pastor? We then, as workers together with God. That almost sounds blasphemous. Workers together with God. Although living the life of grace and God's goodness, if we refuse to commit our life to his honor, to his glory, we've, if we refuse to become a co-worker. Now, let me say this. Just because you're a Christian, just because you attend church doesn't mean you're a co-worker. Co-worker doesn't mean I, I go through the labor of attending church twice a week. That's like me telling my wife, it was tough having that baby. I mean, nights are rougher, you're sleepless. I mean, I got to turn my head over twice and put three pillows over my ear just to avoid hearing the screams of that child. Would you please wake up quicker? Take care of that baby. Can some of you just smile once this morning? Co-workers together with, okay, the God of the universe, the creator of the world allows me to be a co, there, there are people in life, I would love to be a co-laborer, and maybe not over a lifetime, but if they would just say, hey, Adam, I want you to come help me one day. Can, can you imagine, I, I don't like, uh, whoever's name I throw out there, someone's going to have a problem with it. Well, he's a heathen. They're all heathen. But. I mean, if Jeff Bezos called you up tomorrow and said, hey, uh, I really need your help tomorrow. You'd be like, no, I know you're such a Christian. You'd be like, no, thank you. But if he said, I've, you know, I've been, I've been looking for some really good help. And I really believe after having meditated on all the applications, you're the man for the job. Right? You would get on the plane. <laughs> And the whole time you're on the plane, what are you wondering? Okay, well, this has to be a trick. I mean, why me? Come on, I'm unqualified. What, what can I actually offer him? He's already surrounded by an incredible team. Who, who am I and what am I going to, come on. Is, is, is he just going to embarrass me? Is he, he just going to be like, look at the idiot that I brought here that actually thought he could be a co-laborer with me. Clown. Can you imagine government, Governor Abbott called? that I need your services here for today. Texas is in a state of emergency. And I just feel like you're the man, you're the person, you're the woman for the job. Brianna, I need you here at the Capitol tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. What would you think? He's crazy. <laughs> right? You, because you're saying, I'm unworthy. I, I, don't, I don't have anything to offer. God doesn't just save me. He says... I want you to work 
Now, you know what the grace of God is in vain? If we take, if you look in your Bible, now hold on for a second, before you get, here's what most Christians do, I'm not really worthy and I don't think I can really help and I don't know where I can, and why don't you read your Bible for a minute? But so Noah was worthy? So Jonah was qualified? What about Peter, Paul, Ezekiel? I mean, you, you read about these people, it makes me feel better. It truly does. If, how many of you have ever read the book of Judges? So God's, God's going to pick Jephthah, Barak, Gideon, anyone on that list. You know what God's doing? He's simply saying, I'm the qualifier. You didn't qualify. I qualified you by my grace. You're not worthy. I made you worthy by my grace. So for someone not to become a co-worker, co-laborer. Now, let me ask you this, Chris. If you're not living your life to be a co-worker together with him, that's the original context, right? Let's read it one last time before we pray. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. So I think the greatest thing we can learn from the context is if we are not a co-worker together with him, we've received the grace of God in vain. How many pastors have said, I would do that. We would hold a teen revival or we would do a vacation Bible school. We would run a Sunday school. We would have a youth program I just don't have the workers. How big is your church? Oh, it's only 150. Can anyone explain that to me? Oh, we we would hold an evangelistic event. I just don't have the people to get the tracts and invitations out. Well, how many do you have? We have 85. Can you explain that? You know what the average person is doing? They're a co-worker with IBM or Apple or Facebook or Oracle, but not a co-worker. And boy, do they feel excited when they get the call from that company. I mean, I've had kids. Pastor, I get to wear the brown uniform with a yellow M. I get to come home smelling like a French fry <laughs> every day. I get two free meals every time I go to I don't even know how they can say that with a straight face, but they're excited because they're a co-worker and they consider that great grace. You know how many people are in this auditorium this morning will never come under two seconds of conviction, and yet they'll willfully give a company 40 to 60 hours a week and be excited about being a co-labor with a company that'll kick them to the curb first chance they get. And the God of heaven says, I want to work. How is this not blasphemous? The God of heaven says, I want to work with you. And I want you to work with me. And for us not to do that is to receive the grace of God in vain.